0: The 1 verses 11 through to 2, 2, uh, we said at the start of this series and um, a little way into it now i just repeat it, that uh, I take this to be an historical factual record of God's dealing with a man and, uh, and with the city of Nineveh through that man. I do not believe it's allegorical or a parable or anything like that, I believe it is a true historical record and uh, Kings makes it clear that who Jonah was, that he was a prophet of the Lord to Israel and so on. But I want us to see tonight in these verses two rescue missions, both brought about by God. There's the rescue of the seamen, these heathen seamen who don't know the living God, and God rescues them. And then the rescue of Jonah, the man who does know God but is in rebellion against God and has run away from God. And of course both speak to us of the far greater rescue mission of God to lost sinners through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who described himself as greater than Jonah. So let's see first in the saving of the seamen. We mentioned last time uh, that uh, as their plight became apparent to them, the seamen first looked for salvation in completely the wrong verse, uh, places. If you go back to verse 5 of chapter 1, we read first of all, well, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Their first idea was that their gods could save them, whoever these gods were idols, gods that they'd imagined or gods that they'd made or gods that the nations advocated the gods that they'd grown up with and they cry out to these false gods to save them and these gods are powerless of course to do anything at all to save them having cried out uh, to false gods in false religion if you like verse 5 the second part they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship they tried to save themselves they thought perhaps we can work out our own salvation if we jettison all that from the ship that uh, we don't need that isn't essential to us maybe we can deliver ourselves and of course again that fell. They tried false religion, they tried salvate, saving themselves and neither worked. And of course we said that's exactly how it is in the world today, isn't it? There are so many who are looking to other religions to save them, other belief systems to save them, or they're looking to their own merits, to their own efforts, to their own good works to save them. Uh, Psalm 96, 5-6 says, For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him Strength and glory are in his Sanctuary Psalm 115 4 to 8 reads But their idols Speaking of those of the world Are silver and gold Made by the hands of men They have mouths but cannot speak Eyes but they cannot see They have ears but cannot hear Noses but they cannot smell They have hands but cannot feel Feet but they cannot walk Nor can they utter a sound with their throats Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Friend, can I very gently but very definitively say that it doesn't matter which God you look to to save you, there is no God in this world that can save anyone save the God of the Bible. There is no other God in existence. There is no other way through any other religion. There is no other belief system. There is no way you can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He and he alone is the way, the truth and the life and that is the only way to come to that God you can say well I believe in the God of the Bible but if you reject Jesus Christ and reject the way of salvation by faith in Christ alone you cannot come to God so their initial thoughts were towards their own gods and then to save themselves my friend have you tried other religions? have you looked for the answers there? maybe there's someone here tonight who's still doing that you got the idea that if you explore enough in this world you'll find some other system that works we grow up in a uh, multi-faith society Uh, we are taught in our schools we teach in our schools today that there are many religions of equal merit Uh, there is this way, there is that way we're taught in school that they're not incompatible that you can pick and choose between them that effectively all roads lead to heaven is it possible that you've pulled together a religion of your own that you've added elements from this and that and are seeking somehow to reach God or to placate God in that way my friend. you can't do it there is no way to come to the Father except through Jesus Christ is it possible you're trying to do it still through your own efforts that maybe even you're taking Jesus Christ you're saying but I believe in him but you're adding to that something else I will come to God through Jesus Christ and I will do this to please God you can't do that The only way is to come and throw yourself on the grace and mercy of God, pleading the righteousness of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. Look, my friend, here is what you need to do. Look at verse 11. This is where these seamen started. They listened to the message that they needed to hear. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, that is Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm for us? In other words they came to Jonah and said Jonah you're in a relationship with this God you know this God you tell us what we must do to be saved. When all is said and done Jonah might have been in disobedience towards God he might have been running away from God but he still knew God and he still knew what they needed to do to be saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's an amazing grace of God that even when one of his children are in rebellion against him He can still use them to be a blessing to other people. And he used Jonah to be a blessing to these seamen. My friend, God has not only provided a means to save you, but he's provided a means for you to hear how he can save you. And that is through the preaching of of the Bible, that's through the preaching of the Gospel. If you're here tonight and you don't know the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ, If you know someone who does know him through Jesus Christ then you have an opportunity, you have a means to discover how you can be saved. The reason God has put those people where he's put them is in order that they can show you and tell you what you need to do to be saved. Isn't that wonderful? God hasn't left us to muddle it out for ourselves. Uh, I understand I'm I'm reliably informed through the news agencies this week that um, there is no God. I can stop worrying about it. God is defunct. Um, Stephen Hawkins has written another book and it's very clear uh, God didn't create the world in fact it's inevitable that everything came out of nothing because the law of gravity proves it um, which somewhat blows my mind so I don't think I'll be retiring just yet but uh, you know, the wonderful thing is that God hasn't left us to just look at things and try and work it out and come to weird and ridiculous conclusions He's given us his word and he's put people with us, amongst us, who are in a relationship with him so they can take that word and explain it to us. And my friend, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour, you haven't got that absolute assurance in your heart that you are saved, that you're covered by the blood of Christ, can I plead with you? It's so simple, just talk to someone you know who is a Christian. Some if of you don't have a shadow of a doubt themselves knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Saviour. And all you've got to do is just say to them, show me how I can be saved. It will be their greatest joy and pleasure to show you what the Lord requires of you. And that's what these men do. They turn to Jonah despite his failings, despite the fact they can see he's not a good God-fearing man. At least he knows God and at least he knows the answer to their problem. And so they say to him, what have we got to do? That's the first stage. You've got to listen to the Gospel. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And my friend, if you do know that, living God, that should be a great challenge to you and I, shouldn't it? that it's our work to proclaim that gospel message in the world. It's our work to tell others what they need to hear to be saved. I I was reading some statistics, we'll be looking at them a little later in the service, God willing, at the, the percentage of Muslims in Britain today. And that's just one tiny sector of our society that has not got a clue who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And we have the words of eternal life. We know who he is, we're able to share who he is and we're called to do it. It's great to hear reports this morning of what went on in Cambridge again yesterday morning uh, with George and and a group from the church. We praise the Lord for that. That people, despite their indifference, are almost being forced to hear what they need to do in order to be saved. That's where these seamen start. They ask Jonah what they must do to be saved. But not only do they ask what they need to be, to be saved step two they've got to understand the message look at the message verse 12 pick me up and throw me into the sea replied and it will become calm I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you sin lies behind the problem in this case it's Jonah's sin Jonah is repelled against God and it's because of that that these seamen are in danger there's got to be a recognition that sin is the cause of the problem And that's so with everyone in this world today, isn't it? The heart cause of the problem is sin. And we live in a generation where the gospel is being so distorted. Uh, We were talking about it only this morning after the service, uh, the church members, where, where a gospel is being preached that is no gospel at all. Because it denies the reality of sin and it denies the accountability for sin and it denies the fact that sin is yet to be dealt with either in the person or in Christ's death at Calvary. And if we don't submit to Christ, if we don't accept him as our Lord and Saviour, then God will deal with it in us, in hell for an eternity. That's what scripture declares. And they had to understand the message. It was Jonah's fault, there was fault behind it but not only do they recognise Jonah's fault in it it's interesting to me that when you get down to verse 16 it clearly affects them and they're aware of their own need the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him they had to recognise their own accountability before God and this drove them to a holy reverent fear of God which is a it's the beginning of wisdom isn't it the fear of the Lord that's where it starts when we come under a, an understanding of who this holy God is and where we stand before him outside of Jesus Christ. My friend, do you understand your own sin and your own need for forgiveness by God? Do you understand that? I know we preach it every week but has it, has it gone home to you that, that one lie one lie is enough to condemn you to a lost eternity and every one one wrong thought and yet every one of us has done far far more than that just to live for one second in this world without loving God with all your heart mind body and soul and without having sought to do his will for that one second is enough sin to condemn you forever And there has to be a recognition of that, there has to be a repentance of that. As much as there has to be a turning to Christ, there has to be a turning away from that sin. That's part of the understanding of the message. Verse 12, there's God's judgment to be dealt with, there's consequences of the sin. Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. In other words, God's justice demands a response for the sin. And this storm, this... this Punishment that's there this, the, the, this act of God that's coming upon them is a result of sin and sin has consequences 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God isn't that amazing there has to be a sacrifice for sin the sacrifice here was that Jonah has to be cast into the sea The sacrifice to deal with sin, the sacrifice to deal with our spiritual state, is not that Jonah is cast in the sea, but that Christ was crucified to a tree. And he, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, bore in his body God's wrath against your sin and mine if you come in repentance and faith to Christ. In order that we might gain his righteousness and he might pay for our sin. All this has got to be heard, all of this has got to be understood that ain't going to save you it's not just enough to hear the truth it's not enough even to just understand the truth they had to do more than that didn't they? if they just said to Jonah "Okay, that's right I understand that I understand that this is because of your sin I understand that God's got to punish that heard it, understand it storm doesn't stop they're still in exactly the same predicament my friend you've got to come to verses 14 and 15 to be saved what do we read there? They cried to the Lord. That's the next step, isn't it? You've got to cry out to this God, capital L, capital O, capital D, Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I Am, the personal name of God. They cried to that God, not their gods. And verse 15, they obeyed the Lord. They took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. My friend, you've got to hear the message, you've got to understand the message, you've got to cry out to God and you've got to do what God tells you to do. And that is to repent your sin. And repent means two things. It means confess it to God, seek his forgiveness for it. But it means most essentially turn away from it. Turn your back on it, 180 degrees away from that life you've lived, towards God, seeking his forgiveness and his grace towards you in Christ Jesus. Putting your trust and your hope Solely in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary and what happened when they did the raging sea grew calm peace that's what happened their their, their whole experience was transformed into one of absolute peace and what did they do verse 16 they worshipped God the men greatly feared the Lord they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him isn't that amazing account of how God saves heathen men men who had no thought for him, men who weren't looking for him, men who weren't on some spiritual pilgrimage, just men going about their business and God just came and intervened in their lives and revealed himself to them and saved them both physically and spiritually that's the seaman story what about the saving of Jonah Jonah If the Siemens is a story of how God saves the lost, Jonah's story is a story of how God restores a fallen believer. My friend, how is it for you tonight? If you're here tonight and you're saying, well, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for many, many years. Is it possible that, like Jonah in some degree, you're in rebellion against God? You've moved away from where God put you. You started off maybe very well and maybe you ran well like Jonah did you want a prophet to Israel but maybe you held a position in the church maybe you, you taught Sunday school maybe you, you had a radiant testimony of God's grace in your life and maybe only over one little thing in your life you've held out against God and the result of that has been that you've just moved further and further away from God and you're at a stage now where really God is distant to you that's where Jonah was and this is an account of how God restores Jonah Be being encouraged by this. If you're God's child, if you're truly a born-again Bible-believing Christian, God cannot let go of you. It, it would be to deny everything he said in his word. None shall pluck you from my hand, says the Lord. Jesus said, you've passed over from death to life. Paul writes in Romans 8, doesn't he? Those he justified, he also... Glorified, and that hasn't happened yet that's, that's when we get to heaven but he says it's as certain as if it had happened God cannot let you go so let's look at how God deals with Jonah God's brought him some way he's had to recognise his sin he's had to admit to it he's had to own up to it but he hasn't yet truly repented of it and he hasn't yet put himself in a state where he's ready and willing and to serve and obey God and that's where God's got to bring him back to God's going to come to him in the chapter 3 and challenge him over exactly the same thing again but this time Jonah's got to get it right and he's not ready for that yet Peter Granger in his book Firm Foundations breaks down Jonah's, uh, God's treatment with Jonah here or Jonah's journey here into three stages he says first of all there's the journey down down to Joppa down into the ship and then down into the depths of the sea That's a terrible route down, isn't it, for Jonah? He goes away from the Lord, he goes down to Joppa, he goes down into the heart of that ship and then he's thrown overboard and he goes down into the sea. Can you imagine? I I, I guess many of us have heard this account of Jonah since we were sort of so high and we probably can't remember how it struck us the very first time we heard it. But can we just for a moment, imagine this is the first time we're hearing it or imagine that we're actually there in Jonah's place Can you imagine what it must have felt like for Jonah at that moment? As the close of uh, verse 16 of chapter one, at this the men greatly feared. Oh, sorry, verse 15. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jonah? Suddenly they are all saved, and here and he alone is there in the sea and sinking. No lifeboat, no life jacket, no RAF helicopter flying over. He's there, and he's going to die. And as far as he knows this is the end of his earthly life and he's going to spend the end of his earthly life away from the blessing of the Lord. He's living in rebellion against God, he's run away from God, he hasn't done what God's called him to do and that's how his life's going to end. Can you imagine what that must feel like? And as he goes down swallowing water and the sea sort of close over his head, can you imagine what must have gone through his mind and heart in that moment? And yet in you know, a Far more comfortable way. Can I suggest many Christians end their lives in much the same way—really away from where the Lord wants them to be, really away from doing anything for the Lord? I mean, retirement is a great blessing, isn't it? Uh, work-wise, I'm certainly glad I haven't got to work until I'm 96 or until the day I drop dead. I mean, that would—that would be a, a terrible hardship, wouldn't it? But is there retirement from the Lord's work? I, I've not found the place in Scripture that suggests there is. As service might change, it often does. In fact, it, it almost inevitably does. The ways in which we serve change. Maybe the, uh, the area in which we serve changes. But we still serve. We still have the Lord's work to do, don't we? All the time we've got breath in our bodies, we can still talk to people about Jesus Christ. We can still pray. We can still intercede for what's happening in the world. We we can still encourage, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can still do so much. My friend, is it possible that in a sense you're exactly where Jonah is and you don't even recognise that you're there in any sense sinfully. And yet you are because you've abdicated your responsibility and your role and your calling as a Christian and you're spending the last part of your days, as it were, just sinking in this sea, alien from the Lord and possibly not even aware of it. Let me read to you an extract from John... I know I've read it before, John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. It really struck me so powerfully when I first read it. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who, quote, took early retirement from their jobs in the North five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta, Gorda, Florida. Uh, do, do you, sorry that's cool do you say it's cool yes, gola. Co- gola. Yes, gola. ok yes, gola. <laughs> ah excellent ok take it up with George afterwards I'm still not clear anyway uh, wh- wherever it is in uh, Florida uh, where they cruise on their 30 foot trawl at, play place softball and collect shells at first when I read it I thought it might be a joke a spoof on the American dream but it wasn't tragically this was the dream come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgement. Look, look, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life and that's where Jonah is at his life is a waste at this point and as far as he knows it's going to end at this point and he's got no way of redeeming any of that time before the Lord his next breath as far as he knows will be before the Lord Almighty as he gives account of his life to him that's stage one stage two in his journey is this he hits rock bottom God provides a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. That's rock bottom, isn't it? Can you imagine getting any lower than that? To be swallowed by a great fish and to spend three days and three nights in the stinking belly of a fish. I know I've said it before, but I remember so clearly, it's etched in my memory uh, when we did biology A-level at school and I dissected a dogfish. We're supposed to be displaying the, the nervous system of the dogfish, but you know an intelligent not intelligent, that's the wrong word, I didn't mean to say that, uh, an inquisitive, that was the word I meant, teenager, you immediately want to know what did the dogfish have for its last meal. So you just start to split open its stomach. And immediately it just burst open and the stomach contents flooded across the desk. Only problem was it had been cooled about two weeks previously and frozen and thawed out and frozen and thawed out a couple of times. And the room stank imagine what it would be like to spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and that's where God had to bring Jonah to before Jonah was ready to be restored to the Lord my friend it may be that God's brought you there at the moment if he has can I encourage you don't despair praise the Lord that his hand is on you praise the Lord that he hasn't just abandoned you and let you go praise the Lord that he's bringing you there in order to restore you in order to make you useful to him again, in order to bring you back into that joy and delight with him again. Because finally Jonah is where he needs to be. His self-reliance is gone, his independence is gone, his desire to run away from God is gone, his recognition that he's he's sinned is there and finally he's ready to do what he needs to do and we read that he does it in the first two verses of chapter 2. From inside the fish Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Isn't that an amazing statement? When everything's been taken away from him, when he's as low as he can possibly be, finally he does what he needs to do and he prays to the Lord, his God. Finally he looks up, that's stage three in his journey. You've got the downward journey, he hits rock bottom and finally he looks up and when he looks up everything changes. Just spend a moment looking at verse two with me. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and You listened to my cry. First thing, so clear, isn't it? He cries to God. Who else can he cry to? The trouble is, we see so many other things we can cry to, and people we can cry to. It amazes me for myself, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. How often we're so ready to talk to other people about our problems and our situations and we don't spend that much time talking to God about it. You know, if we added up the number of hours we spend talking to other people about what's happening in our lives and how much time we spend talking to God about it, I guess it would shock us sometimes. Well, Jonah's had everybody else taken away. He's had every other um, opportunity taken away. He's just there on his own with his God. And so, verse 2, in my distress I called to the Lord. And more than that, his distress is the actual platform for his crying out to God, isn't it? The NIV says, um, in my distress, the ESV says, out of my distress. The idea is that his distress is the platform for his cry. It's the very foundation for his cry. It's it's where God has brought him to that is now fueling his cry to God. The tragedy is so often, friends, if we're honest, isn't it, that we're very happy to pray to God when things are good. We find it very easy to pray to God when things are good and yet when things get hard and and we find ourselves in a difficult place there is a tendency to not pray as much because because we struggle in our praying and because it seems that God is distant in our praying and because perhaps we cry out and it's almost like our words bounce back off the ceiling we're not as committed to praying and yet that situation is the very thing that should fuel our prayers and drive us to prayer. And here's Jonah in the hardest situation imaginable And yet it's there that his prayer is so effective. He cries out to the Lord out of his distress. My friends, if you're there at the moment, your pain and your hurt and your situation should be the very fuel of your prayers. They should drive you to prayer and and they they should be your prayer. Let your pain speak through your words to your Lord, I pray. And number three, know that God will hear you. You can't get much further away physically than where you'd expect to be distant from the Lord than Jonah might have reckoned in the belly of a fish somewhere down under the sea, would you? And what do we read there in verse 2? In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. My friend, there is nowhere you can go where God cannot hear you. There is no depth to which you can fall from which God can't hear you. There's no distance that you might have travelled away from the Lord of which the Lord cannot hear you and restore you and bring you back. The Lord declares in his word 1 John 1 verse 9 If we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Finally, very quickly the saving of your soul we've mentioned a couple of times that Jesus refers back to Jonah and this is the particular context of the course in which he does it in Matthew twelve thirty nine 39-41 we read of Jesus he answered a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. My friend, can you see the wonder of our Lord's words? This death, this burial of Jonah under the sea was a foretelling of Christ's burial for the three days that he would spend in the earth after his crucifixion. So many things in the Old Testament point forward to Christ, don't they? So many times we find another glimpse, another picture of what Christ is going to be and what he's going to do and Jesus chooses to look back and pick this one and says, look, as Jonah was three days in the belly of that whale, so I'm going to be three days and three nights dead in a tomb in the grounds." And just as Jonah rose to life after those three days, metaphorically, so the Lord Jesus Christ rose to life physically after those three days, having conquered death and sin and Satan. And my friend, when Jesus refers to himself as being one greater than Jonah, he doesn't just mean in that his burial and resurrection was greater than Jonah's. Not just that the original is greater than the picture that points to it. He meant it in the sense that all Jonah could do was preach to the people in Nineveh you need to throw yourself on the mercy of God and look forward to a Messiah who will redeem his people but when Jesus came he said you look to me for I am the Messiah and I have come to redeem my people come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest said our Lord another occasion he said do not let your hearts be troubled trust in God, trust also in me And a few verses later, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How much greater was Jesus than Jonah? All Jonah could do was preach repentance. Jesus Christ could preach repentance and eternal life in his name. Jesus Christ could preach forgiveness of sins in his name, in my name. Repentance of sins will be preached to all nations. And of him Peter said in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved and Paul writing to Titus says in 1 Titus 2.5 for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus my friend do you know this Jesus do you know him this Jesus who is one greater than Jonah I pray you do Sorry, I said, I, I said. T-